Hello and welcome back to the Service Management Social, a podcast, as the name suggests, focusing on all things service management. Today, I'm joined by lead editor and author of ITIL4's Digital and IT Strategy and one of HDI's top 25 influencers of 2021, Dave Cannon, and my business partner and managing director of ITSM Solutions, Mark Biebeck. We'll be looking at what enterprise service management actually is and how it can drive value to businesses as they look to become digital enterprises. Now, believe it or not, this is something that's widely talked about across the service management community, with many having their own opinions on what enterprise service management actually is. Um, So, Dave, let's start with you. I'll hand it over and you can tell us not only a bit about yourself, uh, but equally what enterprise service management means to you. Well, uh, I think you've uh, introduced me, so don't need to go into too much more detail. I'm uh, I'm based in Dallas in Texas, um, so morning for me if uh, if I get that reference wrong. So, um, ESM Enterprise Service Management, very interesting area and one that's um, getting a, quite a bit of news. Some of it good and some of it a little bit misleading. And I, and I think it helps to go back to where it started and what it's all, you know, why the term service management was chosen in the first place. So um, back in 40, 50 years ago, uh, when IT was really getting going, um, we had a, a number of fairly mature installations already, mainly mainframe type installations. And a lot of the theory around how to manage these installations uh, were were exploratory. They were, you know, what's the best model to use to manage these kind of environments? And uh, some of the early approaches were based on uh, on a manufacturing type approach. Um, So you have data, which is the raw material, and it goes through through various uh, machines or or various stages, and and it gets uh, gets processed, and it comes out as a report or some sort of information. And, um, and, and that was likened to a factory. And so, for example, if you look at some of the early capacity management models, they were all based on queuing theory um, and, 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 and removing bottlenecks in, in, uh, in the assembly line, so to speak. But as things developed more and more, people began to realize, yes, there is an element of manufacturing about it, but actually managing IT is more like managing a service environment. It's very similar, for example, to managing a hospital or a restaurant or a hotel. Um, You have very dynamic demand. People need things uh, as they need them. You know, they don't put in a forecast and then it gets produced. In the early days, it might have been like that. But certainly as we evolved to more sort of client-centric, customer-centric, and then eventually distributed uh, uh, processing and mobile phones and so on, uh, it was a very much an on-demand model and a dynamic demand model. People could request services, could request resources at any time from any source through any channel. And so this model of a dedicated manufacturing environment just, just didn't really work that well. So the, the, uh, certainly when ITIL was being written, and even before that, we have people going out to other parts of the industry to find out how they manage this kind of dynamic demand. Um, it, because my background is ITIL, I, I can, I'll speak to it from an ITIL point of view, and that is, uh, you know, very much during version one, I certainly was not an author on version one, but knew many of them. A lot of them actually came out of very diverse backgrounds. They, they were not necessarily IT people. In fact, I don't 
think many, if any of them started out as IT people, you know, they came from a diverse range of backgrounds. They came from healthcare, they came from prison services, they came from transport. Um, and they brought that perspective of service and how to manage a service environment with them. Uh, and, and so the term service management became something important uh, as a term that was used. It was not intended to just refer to the service desk or the help desk and incident management and operations management. It really referred to how you take a, a set of resources uh, that a business needs and how you bring those resources and make them available to that in a format that they can consume them meaningfully. You know, so we talk, for example, about things like incidents and so on. And, you know, think in terms of um, a hospital, A&E, or for us Americans, ER, um, very much like a service desk it functions that way you have incidents and then you have specialists uh, that are dedicated to or once once the diagnostic scripts have been run and people understand what they're dealing with you have specialists that come in and and, uh, and help them uh, fix whatever is going on there that's kind of the spirit of of service management it didn't initially initially come from it it, it came from a business environment and that's a theme that we're going to cover all the way through, I suspect, as we go through this podcast. It's, uh, it came from the business. It was adopted by IT. Now it's finding its way back into the business in, in many different formats. Um, at each step that it's being transferred, it's, it's being enriched. It's growing. It's getting more meaning. It's getting more relevance. And, and I think for me, ESM simply means service management. It's about how do we as an, as an organization, as an enterprise, manage an environment that is characterized by dynamic demand uh, with dynamic ways of meeting that demand or varying ways of meeting that demand uh, that are required at different times for different circumstances. That's for me what service management is about. And certainly when you apply it at that enterprise level, that is what enterprise service management is about. It's not just about, hey, we've got a great help desk. Uh, let's create one for HR. Um, yeah, that you may well want to do that as part of an ESM program, but that in and of itself is not ESM. And Mark, likewise, please tell us a little bit about yourself and what enterprise service management means to you. Sure. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, th thanks for the, the introduction. And um, my, my background is predominantly IT service management not only uh, running services, but also uh, implementing services and running transformation programs that uh, look at the organization holistically and, and how services actually delivered for, for an IT organization and as part of wider, large enterprise as well. Mm. Um, in terms of ESM, I think the explanation that, that Dave has given is absolutely brilliant. And I think I'd, I'd just kind of, from my viewpoint, add to that, and I think it is a very good question that you've actually started off with, Chris, because as far as I know, I don't believe that there is an official definition of what ESM is. Um, but, you know, if we look at it simplistically and say it's service management for the enterprise, well, what does that mean? And to me, I think the fundamentals are, as Dave has very eloquently put, it's about managing that web of interconnected elements that a company provides or, 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 or um, 
built together and organizers such as your technology, your people, um, and the processes that you run, as well as obviously the partners that are, are providing inputs to, to the business to actually create those outcomes that, that your end customer wants to consume. So enterprise service management then is about how do we do that and how do we effectively put a set of ways of working into the organization that makes that effective for both the internal services that a business has, as well as obviously the external services that are delivered to, to the end customer at the end of the day. So in a succinct way, maybe saying it's about applying structure and guidance um, to the practices within an organization so that they can then create value um, for the ex external and internal business services. So how does enterprise service management or, or service management rather connect with digital transformation and drive value to businesses that are looking to become digital enterprises? Uh, it, that's a really good question because, you know, very often these terms are just thrown out there. Yeah, we're mm. doing digital transformation. Yeah, we're doing ESM or, and, and uh, actually they're, they're very closely related because digital transformation is about businesses using emerging technology um, which includes IT as well as you know various other kinds of technology uh, operations technology and, and communications technology and so on and these these um, these integrations of technology uh, so they're using new and emerging technology but they're also using technology to do different things so they're using it in new ways uh, but when it comes down to digital transformation, it's all about how you change your organization to, um, to be able to operate and work and, and create and deliver services and products within an emerging digital context. So it's, it's how your organization meets the challenge of, um, you know, not just the challenge, takes the opportunities that digital technology has to offer them, how they change to take those opportunities. Well, if you're going to do that, you're going to find that the, uh, the solutions that you develop and use will need to be managed uh, and they'll need to be managed as dynamic services. And as you do that, you're certainly going to need to apply service management to them. But the difference is that in early days of IT, the technology was being deployed back office with some front, uh, front office uh, sort of terminals and uh, you know, clients and so on. Uh, over time, that shifted. We now have the, the whole of IT being developed and used almost within the business and sometimes mm -hmm. even within the customer, uh, in the customer's environment. So, so what we're finding here is that the, the service management techniques, processes, practices, tools, not only have to be suitable for managing the technology, they have to be suitable for managing the processes that the business is using to, you know, to deliver their, um, their services and, and products and, and perform all kinds of various corporate functions. So you're using service management in a way that manages both the technology and what you do with that technology. That's the overlap between ESM and digital transformation. In fact, I don't think you can really do digital transformation unless you're applying what you've learned about managing technology to the way you're managing your business as well. I think the two are very closely related. I think a lot of people run into trouble on both sides when they try and restrict 
one or the other. And if they say, well, we're going to, we're going to do digital transformation, but that service management stuff, uh, you know, that, that belongs on, uh, in IT. Um, so we're going to leave that there and we're going to develop all these wonderful solutions and we're going to develop all of these new services and we're going to take all of these new opportunities. We don't need service management for that. That's for the techies who have to support this lot. That's where people run into a lot of trouble. It, that is, you know, that, that's, that's a misunderstanding of what service management is. The other point on the digital transformation side is we get into trouble when we think that the, the transformation we're going through, the technologies that we're using will not change the way we work as a business. Um, the reality is when you do digital transformation, when you transform something using digital technology, you actually change the rules about how your business works. Right now, that sounds a little bit strange, but think about it, take it outside of a business context. Think about today how dating works, yeah. right? <laughs> the rules of dating have been completely changed because of this online thing. By the time you meet someone for the first time face-to-face, -face, it's a very, very different meeting than, than it used to be when you, know, when you kind of had already sort of bumped into each other somewhere or been introduced by friends or something like this. The rules have changed. Behavior of people has changed. There is a whole new set of crimes that are being committed in the space. You know, people trying to extort money by, you know, by getting access to their profiles and this kind of thing. The rules are different. The protections that you have to use are different. And, and it, it's no difference when you look at how you apply digital technology in the business. The behavior of people changes. The way they work together changes. The way teams across the organization have to integrate and communicate changes. And uh, to, to understand these changing rules and the way not only the technology has to be managed, but the way these, these new practices have to be managed takes a lot of diverse skills, service management being one of them, uh, but certainly not the only one. Uh, so to, to me, that's, that's really how they will come together. Fantastic. And um, I've seen, in fact, I had a, a conversation earlier today with someone that works within the the iGaming and online gambling kind of within that space. Um, and the conversation was around, I, mean, I, I suppose, let me put it this way. Many of us see those kind of organizations as digital enterprises. Um, but there's an element of irony in that, you know, it's, it's very much, um, you know, the products and services that they are delivering are kind of built by them and make sense to them. But there's a real lack of focus on customer experience, the customer journey, retention. Um, and, and I think to what you've just said there, um, the, the value in which it can drive is, is looking at the end-to-end -end kind of chain, or, chain of services or, or value chain, if you like, um, to ensure that not only are we delivering, um, you know, cool, innovative products and services, but equally they're making sense to the, the end customer and consumer uh, whether we're a digital enterprise already or we're a digital enterprise of the future, if you like. Yeah, you, you raise a really good point. And, and that is, a, again, in, in the digital transformation context, there is a, a temptation in many companies, companies who are very successful mm. to think that because they've broken the rules and they've used this new technology and they work in a completely different way than anyone else, that therefore there are no rules 
Yeah. And we don't have to worry about doing, you know, doing things like, um, you know, being sensitive about diversity in the workforce or uh, worrying about your customers, you know, what they think. Uh, we've got the best product. Why do we have to worry about what customers think? It's always going to be better because we're innovating all the time. Uh, but those rules still apply. Uh, you know, again, service management is a very important component of taking what we've learned in the past and applying it into new models. And uh, I think you put your finger right on that. Uh, one of the things we, 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 really, we really struggle with, or I see uh, organizations that I work in really struggle with is this term governance. Mm -hmm. um, you know, on, on the one hand, there's this freedom of being able to innovate and being able to get new services and products out there and not have to you know, do it really quickly. And, and, and in an agile incremental fashion. And of course we have these, these methodologies that help us do that. And, and a, a, a lot of people in those, in those situations think, yeah, thankfully now we're, now we don't have to deal with this control and governance. It, it's off our shoulders. We can do whatever, you know, is, is good for this, uh, for this business. And suddenly you find people going off in all kinds of different directions, doing all kinds of different things. Some of it is good and some of it is not. You know, service management as, as part of your as part of your program helps you achieve that balance between where do we need to innovate, where do we need to get better about how we do things and what we do, and on the other side, you know, how, how do we how do we make sure that everything is coordinated and and you know, really supporting the strategy of our organization and making sure at the same time that we're all really good citizens, you know, corporate citizens. Absolutely. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah. but I, I think you know back to uh, the original question. There was to me, and you put this very well, Dave. I think was in my mind that it talks about the convergence of um, digitization and the shift towards services, um, the shift towards consumption, and using subscription-based services, whether it's as a business or whether it's as as an individual that convergence of digital and that shift to services um, is actually driving each other at the same time, the one enables the other. Um, but like you've said, they, they, they actually can't be separated from each other either. Yeah. And, 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 and of course the important bit being that, that uh, service management looks at all of these things holistically, right? Um, across the organization as you've, as you've highlighted. Yeah, it, it really does. And, and you raise a very important point, Mark, uh, you know, things like subscription, for example, um, you know, services in the cloud based on subscription, paper use, and this kind of thing creates the illusion uh, that people are going to, you know, be very responsible about how they use and manage these things. And of course, they're not. Um, you know, we, we tend to think, oh, yeah, um, let's make our business units responsible for data storage. Uh, we, we'll still manage the actual services. Uh, we'll host them in the cloud. Therefore, they're a lot cheaper. But it's up to the business what they do with, with data. And there's this disconnect because on the, on the one hand, business, uh, you know, business users and, and customers, people who are paying for these services are thinking, great, I, you know, I've got cheaper, cheaper storage than I had before. Uh, it does, you know, very often it doesn't go together with things like the data governance, the discipline mm. of understanding which data needs to be stored in what format for how long, uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And very soon you find these costs spiraling out of control. Um, you know, when you, when you distribute 
decision-making like that, you also have to distribute authority and you also have to distribute accountability and, and, and the discipline that goes along with those things. So you raise, you raise a very important point. Subscription models are extremely positive, but they have to be managed. Yeah. So to, to the point of um, you know, service management is just one of, uh, brings in those kind of disciplines which help both IT uh, users as well as business users in other words, everybody in the organization helps us understand exactly how and when to use and manage those um, technology components. This, this isn't a new thing. Enterprise service management or, or service management, if you like, has been, you know, the likes of IBM, as an example, have spoken about this um, and, you know, business aligned service management or, or, or service management processes across the enterprise for what 40 years there or thereabouts so why do you think it's um it's kind of more more relevant and, and is currently being spoken about more than ever um today or or, or in recent years um I, for, for me i can see probably about four main kind of trends that are all that are all driving it together um and 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 dave did did talk to this already but um the first I would say is that business is a lot closer to IT. You know, if you think back 10 or 20 years ago, uh, IT was very much at arm's length. Um, mm. One of my favorite sitcoms of all time was actually a show called The IT Crowd. And the three main characters were, their office was in the basement of the building. Um, one of my favorite lines actually was, uh, one of the characters, he picks up the phone and says, hello, wel welcome to IT Help Desk. Have you tried restarting? Um, which really typified what IT was um, and what IT services were. Um, and I think fortunately we've moved on a lot from, from those days. So um, with IT and business now becoming a lot closer and there's a lot more interdependence between IT and business, um, I think business businesses and the people within the front office of the business are starting to see a lot more of the value of IT and service management of IT as how the kind of new IT crowd is really delivering services. Um, the second uh, point to this, I think, is that, um, or the second trend really, is that business leaders themselves are consuming services a lot more. So everything from obviously IT services, but let's take another example. So in the past, you probably would have bought a car um, and then you're responsible for paying for services, you're responsible for paying for insurance and fuel, et cetera, et cetera. That evolved into provi providing cars on a lease basis um, and in which maybe there was wrapped in their um, uh, insurance that was a bolt-on and, um, and maintenance uh, uh, plan as well for your vehicle. But of course now on an app on my phone, I can use uh, called Zipcar, I can see four or five different cars around me in the neighborhood that are actually available for me to book and use and pay for by the minute that I, that I, that I rent it. Mm -hmm. um, I don't have to worry about insurance. I don't have to even worry about fuel. I certainly don't have to worry about maintenance for that vehicle. All I have to do is get in and drive it and then return it to a designated parking bay that could be on the other side of the city when I'm done with it. I've only paid for the minutes that I've used of it, which is a perfect consumption-based model. Um, and 
you know, transport as a service, if we think of that, Uber, another example, world's biggest um, taxi company that doesn't own any vehicles and um, controversially doesn't employ any drivers, right? <laughs> so we have many different examples that people individually are using on an ongoing basis as services, right, um, in all aspects of our life. And um, I think the the other trend is that um, increasingly services and therefore service management is seen as a source of competitive advantage, whether it's about increasing the efficiency of the internal services that a business uses um, between different departments or in the external delivery of those services. And in fact, if you look at the kind of wider trends, if a business is not delivering in a services-based model, it probably is going to fall behind its competition. Um, and then... I think there's a fourth element to this, which is um, that um, the increasing kind of push from service management tooling companies um, that are seeing their opportunity or for additional market within the business. Uh, so, if, for example, I know we talked briefly about, let's say, for example, an HR help desk. Um, HR and the HR help desk is very easily it's very easy for an HR help desk to adapt um, and adopt the principles from a, 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 a IT help desk into that organization. So yeah. the availability of tooling, the availability of automation for, for businesses um, means that business leaders are actually seeing the benefits of, of, of adopting uh, service management as a concept as well. So I think for me, those are the kind of four main areas that I see contributing to, to this increased drive in uh, enterprise service management. David, I was going to ask you the same question, um, but instead I'm going to throw you a bit of a, a curveball if, if that's okay. Um, if you take, say, M&A activity as an example, and the increase in M&A over the past what, 10 to 15 years, as well as um, you know, external factors, be it regulation and compliance and so on, do you see even more of an impotence on service man management today? Yes, it is uh, from many different points of view. Um, with uh, you mentioned mergers and acquisitions first, you know one of the one of the most important things to do is to make sure that two organisations are able to identify what they do, who does it, where it gets done, when mm -hmm. it gets done, and how they do it, and uh, and bring those together. And it's very difficult to do that if you don't have a, uh, a, a for want of a better word, a kind of framework yeah. to identify the standard components that should be in every organization. And every discipline has those. If you look at financial, legal, HR, uh, they're, they're, you know, those are very clearly understood and, and for IT as well. And for IT, it's not only about service management. Of course, there are other components uh, as well. Um, you know, there's the, there's the technology architectures and so on uh, that, that have to be adopted. But certainly, service management is a, and has been for many organizations, a huge benefit to being able to, to, to make those mergers and acquisitions a lot yeah. easier. Um, they're never easy, but make make it a, make it a lot more easy and um, manage it more more effectively. I certainly think that. In terms of regulation, you know, this is a really interesting one where um, you know regulation has always been the focus on regu on, on regulatory requirements has always been compliance, right? So there's this regulation over there. We need to comply with it in our organization and. 
you know, 90 to 99% of effort is focused on auditing and compliance. What we're seeing, though, is, is very interesting is that there are some organizations out there, typically startups, that are saying, you know what, you know, regulation is there for an important reason. It kind of protects everybody. It makes sure that everybody's kept honest. But at the same time, yeah, let's, let's think about the compliance, but let's also think about the opportunities that uh, that regulation brings. You know, for example, during during this pandemic, we've, you know, where people in, in banks, for example, people couldn't get down to the branch. So how do you produce your identification to, you know, do things like open accounts or, or add someone as a signature to your account or whatever. Yeah. And what we found is that there are, there are companies who said, you know, um, compliance, if you take a compliance-based view of regulation, you're not going to be able to do business in this environment. Hmm. But there are those organizations who said, you know, we understand why regulation is there. It's important that we know who we're dealing with and that we can prove that the person is who they say they are. Let's find a way to do that. And that way invariably has been through technology. And, and so what's happening is, is that as, as a result of governance and regulation increasing and becoming more rigorous in many places, you're seeing a lot more organizations viewing regulatory requirements, not, as, not only as a compliance issue, but also as a competitive advantage issue. And I think service management helps you identify how to do that because service, what service management does is it starts from the end of the chain and says, what are you trying to do? And then it works all the way back through the chain and says, well, how are we going to do that? What are the obstacles we need to overcome? How do we overcome each one? And how do we manage that from the front to the back of, of, uh, of what we're doing? So service management, I think, has become a very important uh, thing to do. Now, I know a lot of people don't call it service management. Um, you know, they'll, they'll tend to use all kinds of terms, depending on which background they come from. Some people will say, well, we're doing value stream mapping to do that. Mm -hmm. Well, fine. It doesn't really matter what technique you use. But what you're doing is you're using service management um, to, in, to ensure that you have linked the whole value chain, if you like, from where the value is realized all the way through to where the components are built or procured. That's, that's, that's a really important part of that. So, yeah, I mean, service management is really becoming more and more of a competitive differentiator for organizations. Okay. So if service management is now seen as something that's driving real business value, do you see disciplines and functions within ITSM adopting more of an enterprise role? And I suppose to, to caveat that question, how do you see business functions adopting service management? Uh, we're seeing a bit of both. Um, and, and it's an interesting question you ask because as with everything, a lot of people look at service management as a kind of textbook thing. Here are some practices that you need to implement. In reality, service management is more of a political issue than anything else. It's, it's about how do we get people to work together to make the right decisions and to do the right work to make our organization successful. Those, those are political uh, decisions. And so the answer to that question has as much to do with, uh, you know, what's the value of using, using a service management approach to uh, how willing are people to, to work together to achieve uh, the business objectives. 
Uh, we'll go back to the IBM question that you asked, and that is that IBM mentioned value contribution of IT over 40 years ago. They certainly yeah. did, and I have to say that IBM was one of the foundational components of what what uh, came what became ITIL. You know, some of their input were, yeah. were foundational to what to what became ITIL. The point, though, was that the groups that built the building blocks for value were in one group. And the group that delivered or realized the value were in another, in another group. Uh, in the early days, the linkage between those two groups was through application development teams and project teams. It was assumed that if the project team built the application that met that service requirement, that value would be realized. Uh, only <laughs> the problem was when it was rolled out into operation, nobody really communicated with the people who operated those services, what they were and why they were so important and what they did. So we had to put in place all kinds of middle functions like service desks and so on to, to try and get that point across. Business relationship management evolved yeah. as a very important component to communicate the value across between these different groups. And it was a very formal kind of process because these two groups were different groups and there were usually more than two. They were different groups. And so bringing them together and uniting them was, was a very awkward and, 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 and time consuming and, and sometimes very politicized uh, process. What we have happening now is those groups are being formed in multifunctional teams aligned under a project owner who are, who are responsible not only for their piece of building the value, but they're, mm. they're responsible for contributing to the success of the entire chain. And because of that, we're certainly seeing um, you know, more, you know, more and more prevalence of service management uh, practices finding their way into business practices. Yeah. What we're also doing is finding more and more business practices finding their way into the IT groups. Mm. I, so I, I wouldn't necessarily say that, you know, as a, uh, as a unit, ITSM is finding itself being transplanted or moved or adopted yeah. as a unit within a business unit. But what I would say is that many of the practices are certainly finding their way into this new type of organization that is emerging uh, as, yeah. as digital technology impacts us. Um, that being said, we still have... Most organizations have a traditional IT department. Yeah. And it is really important that that traditional IT department starts to learn service management and how it applies within a business context. They need to overcome that gap uh, if it still exists. So, um, sorry, just to, just to <laughs> take a bit of a, a detour there. There are really two approaches to do that. Um, and, the, the approach that many of the tool vendors would love you to take is, is the, uh, let's call it the type two approach. I'll start with the second one first. The type two approach is where you take a single process or a single function and you move it across into the business. You know, create, a, create a help desk for HR. Mm -hmm. I call it the HR service desk. So we take a little bit of incident management, we apply it across. We take a little bit of the, uh, you know, the way our service desk in IT works and we, we, we use the same tools for the HR service desk that we use on our, on our IT help desk. And that is fantastic. Vendor walks away with double uh, license revenues. Uh, we have a better functioning HR department. We're doing, uh, we're doing ESM. 
Well, no, what you're really doing is you're transplanting or you're applying one part of service management to another. And, and, and that's really what we're, that's when you mention that the business units are adopting ITSM. That's the kind of thing that's happening there. But I think by far the greater value uh, comes out of the type one, which is the true enterprise, which mm. is when the executives, the organization, starting with the CEO, uh, maybe even with the board, uh, the governing body of the organization and says, you know, I, I know we are a this type of organization. I know we're in business to do this, but there are elements of a service management approach which will really help us to get this organization, this business, more competitive, more efficient, more effective, uh, faster, more relevant to our customers. And if we use those disciplines and those practices within our organization, we're going to be a better organization for it. That's the, that is the true enterprise service management. And, and, and I think <clears throat> the first one is more of a grassroots type approach where individual, you know, and, and of course, I, I, don't want to, I don't want to belittle those in any way. They're very important, mm. right? Getting, <clears throat> getting efficiency and getting more effective departments in any part of the organization is, of course, a worthy objective. You should go for it. But if it's grassroots, it's only going to happen. It's going to have limited effect. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it, many of the first ITSM uh, um, practices emerged as a grassroots thing, right? Uh, we did it because we, you know, we, we had to get our, our incidents under control. You know, things were just spinning out of control. We had to put incident management in place. You know, 30, 40 years later, still that's the most important thing on our agenda. If you really want traction for service management across the enterprise, it has to be driven from the executive, uh, from the executive's organization, through the product owners of the organization, through the through the team leads of, of the organization, uh, and consistently across the whole organization. Otherwise, it's 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 going to be hit and miss, and it will it will end up being just a number of grassroots efforts. And grassroots grassroots efforts, for the most part, some of them do result in innovation that changes the whole organization. But for the most part, grassroots efforts result in um, operational improvements primarily. And they're limited to those parts of the organizations who buy into them. And it's not mandatory. So a lot of the organization does not buy into them. And therefore, you have this fragmentation happening. And Mark, both you and David have touched upon HR throughout the duration of today's conversation. Um, and one would assume that's primarily because of the way in which um, that business function specifically consumes IT services. Um, but if we were to, to put the spotlight onto HR um, as a business unit, how can you see them, um, as an example, adopting service management practices um, to enable better performance and, and ways of working? Mm. Um, look, I, I think, you know, following on from, from what Dave said about the two different elements to it being grassroots and it being mm. uh, enterprise. Um, but if we take HR as a, as an, as a, as a good example of that, um, yes, you can look at an element such as how do we deal with HR requests, for example, um, for pay slip information, change of personal details. How do you optimize that so that it's a lot easier 
or even providing self-service to your employees. Um, all of those elements, absolutely, you can borrow that entirely from frameworks such as ITIL. But um, I think in terms of looking at, at the broader context of, of HR and saying, okay, well, how would we define what HR does as a portfolio of services that we provide to our customer, which is the employees of the organization. And taking the aspects of, of, of looking at those services, how do we define services, the who, the what, the why, the when of those services that you then provide to the, uh, to the employees of the organization. And then bringing in all the other aspects that, that are there that help to really uh, support what services um, and how services are delivered, um, looking at things, everything from, from your strategic planning cycle um, of services, how you stand those up and deliver them through to um, looking at things like uh, how do you manage the cost of your services? How do you charge the business for your services? Uh, all of those different elements, those absolutely are all translatable from ITIL into a business service, whether it's HR, finance, legal, whatever that happens to be. So if we remove IT from ITIL, say, does it make it fit for, for business purposes? I, I mean, I, considering that, that, that ITIL is, is informed guidance, right, of, of, um, of a way of, of, of doing things, um, but that needs to actually be applied in any environment, whether you're in an IT environment or other, you need to actually adapt that to work for the specific and unique needs of your organization, right? So um, the same principle applies whether you're applying it within the IT part of the business or another part of the business, in my view. Dave, you probably have a much much better way of, of putting uh, that. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I think you put it very well. I, it, it's, a, it's a question that has been asked, uh, oh my goodness, since version three of ITIL. Um, <clears throat> and, and already then uh, people were talking about, yes, we can apply this in the business. It is a, it is a business service management approach. Uh, yet when, <laughs> when you get a business person to read an ITIL book, certainly in version three, they say, well, this is too technical for me. So I, 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 think, uh, I think you have to ask the customers about this. You know, the people who are actually in the business who we asked to read an ITIL book. Um, I, I, I think it certainly has, has gotten more business focused. But remember that ITIL is a best practice, as Mark says. It, it, it's guidance. It comes out of, out of best practice. It comes out of what people have done. And so ITIL will only reflect a business service management view if that is what is going on in the industry, if that's where the industry is headed. And I, I think it is headed that way. Are we there yet? No, I, I don't think so. We still, we still have too many discrepancies between the way that business units want, you know, work and manage themselves and the way that IT units work and manage themselves. And I think we're still too hung up on, 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 on trying to communicate between these two. Um, I think to the, to the extent that IT people become more business professionals, you know, they, they, they become a business professional with a tech specialization, to that extent, we'll start seeing ITIL becoming more and more relevant within, within business uh, context. However, there is, there is something, to be, uh, something to be said here, and that is to the extent that more and more of the business is automated using technology, ITIL is relevant. Mm. Um, now, it's not to say that service management is not relevant. It's relevant to the whole enterprise, as we've already said. 
It's just how does IT apply the concept of service management? How does a business unit apply the concept of service management? And how can they do that together? And I think we still got a long way to go in that. Um, sure. I, I do have an example of this. Uh, a friend of mine is currently working on a, on, a, on a program in Chile. I'm sure he won't mind me mentioning. I won't mention names or, or places. Um, the, the exercise that he started working on started in the legal department. And it was, how can we apply the concepts of service management into the whole, um, the whole nest of compliance and reporting and contracts and so on? How do we manage this? How do we make sense of all of this? Given that we're managing all of this on behalf of a number of business units uh, throughout, throughout the organization, very similar kind of challenges that, uh, for example, an IT group would have. Uh, they, they made a number of um, very interesting breakthroughs. But for me, the, the, the really interesting one was with reporting and data. So one of the exercises was they, they went through all of the corporate divisions and they said, what reports do you produce every month? And where do you get the data from to produce those reports? Well, of course, as it, it turns out, as you probably know, that every department went to every business unit head with a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint or a Word document every month and said, we need you to complete this template with this data. Very often it was the same data. <laughs> Very often it came from the same source. Sometimes it came from different sources. But these business unit leads were spending a week a month with a full-time staff to support the whole process um, generating the, the information needed for these reports. When this, uh, when this ESM program looked at this and said, but hold on, what if we take a look at all the reports and all of the data needed for all of those reports <clears throat> and map them? That way, you can take whatever report you need whenever you like, provided the business unit leads have the data up to date. And so the focus shifts from, hey, you need to be reporting for compliance to, hey, here's a bunch of data that you're using to operate your business. Um, we're going to report on it as well. So if you don't keep it up to date, your reports aren't going to look so good. <laughs> and so the whole, the whole focus shifted. And, and I think what you find, uh, you know, I, I have some psychology studies in my background. One of the things we talk about is locus of control. You know, yeah. internal locus of control versus external locus of control. An external locus of control is someone who believes or does things because they're told to by someone outside of themselves. And they're, they're always struggling because they have to comply with what that person is telling them to do. An internal locus of control is, is someone who, who says, hmm, I have this objective I want to meet. How am I going to do this? Takes control of it and actually figures out how to get it done. What happens in these organizations when they, when they move to an ESM model is they move very much from an external locus of control where everybody's doing things because they have to, mm -hmm. because they've been told to, because the, because the process says so, to more of an internal control. Hey, here's the objective. Here's what we're trying to achieve. How can we do this better if we, uh, if we work together on it, if we figure out a way to do it? And that, for me, was a very good example of, of that shift taking place within this organization. Great. So we've covered quite a bit off today. Um, but just to kind of finish up, have either of you got any closing statements um, to summarize 
firstly what we've discussed and, and then more broadly speaking um once again what enterprise service management means to you dave we'll, we'll start with you and then, then then mark will come on to you how, how do you sum up something so complicated and just in in just one word i i think it's very difficult i i would say you know as always esm is about becoming a fully rounded business professional whether you start out on the business side and work into the technology area or whether you start in the technology area and work out into the business side it takes a well-rounded business professional to do this and the service management that you're looking at uh, has learnings from both the technology application of it as well as the business applications of it there are many and to be a really to have a really good ESM program you really need to be familiar with with how with the learnings of service management from every context in your business and 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 how to get them to work together i think that's that's what it boils down to for me and mark for you yeah um i i think to to me it's it's um you know considering that that the services economy is here um, and here to stay, and that that we are moving at pace in that direction across across all industries. Um, and um, combined with that, the increased convergence that we spoke about earlier of of, of IT and business and, and, and digitization of business, um, I think businesses will need to consider holistically how they manage both their internal and external services that they deliver um, across the organization, whether they use um, a framework to do that or, or whether they apply principles of, of continually learning and improving um, from, from what they've, they've done in the past. Um, ultimately, um, businesses will need to do that in order to remain relevant um, in the future. Well, look, I'd like to thank you both for joining me this afternoon. I think it's been a really great conversation and certainly um, something that I've learned a lot from. And I'm sure those that have tuned in will, will take quite a bit from as well. Um, but just as importantly, I'd like to thank you, um, the listeners, viewers, um, for, for tuning in.